So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and you're listening to episode number 35. This is the fourth and final installment of my short series revisiting some of the incredible conversations I've had with folks as part of my next normal series at the beginning of this year. I've been struck as we head into yet another phase of this pandemic by just how different so much feels and yet also oddly familiar. It's like my favorite book from growing up, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. The idea of time turning in a circle, returning to the same place that is somehow fundamentally and forever altered. So much of our work in the social justice space, so much of our leadership, our goals, our challenges, our questions feel familiar, yet also fundamentally changed from before COVID. That's the next normal that we're building. So I wanted to revisit some of the core themes that come up in one's leadership of a nonprofit through a few different lenses, leadership itself, working with funders, sustainability, and now this week, building teams. This week, I'm revisiting two of my most enjoyable conversations. One is with a dear friend and colleague, Toya Lillard, and the other is with my very dear sister, Darcy Ritchie. 
They both share their insights and deep perspectives on how to build and hold high impact teams that are rooted in and fueled by trust and respect. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Toya. Hey, Brooke. So happy to have you on the podcast. Happy to be here. We've talked so much not in a podcast over the last two plus years now, I think. So it's really exciting to have this conversation. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your team because I have had the great pleasure over the last few weeks of speaking with them, in particular, talking to them about their development and how at Vibe you guys handle things like evaluation of work and assessment. And I heard such glowing things about how you have cultivated a real community of support for these young women. So I want to start off and talk with you more globally for a moment about how you have deliberately cultivated a team of incredible young women of color. There are different places in their careers and all of them articulate feeling that they found a real home at Vibe. So I want to start there because I think that I don't often talk to entire teams that just really love being (laughs) where they are. Now, I know you have this weekly talk show on Instagram, Black Women Are Reliable Sources. Anyone who's out there who's not heard it, check it out. It's incredible. And it's a real testament to your vision and values. Have those translated into how you've built your team? Yes, actually. Vision and values are really important to me personally and professionally. I inherited an organization that was co-founded by two women who wanted to create intentional space for Black girls, young women, and gender expansive youth to express themselves uncensored about the issues that affected them most. The issues that affected them most happen to mirror some societal issues that well-meaning folks have been trying to address for years. (laughs) Just so happened. So Vibe was born out of intentionality and specificity. And so it just so happens that my own vision and values also involve intentionality and specificity, real clear intentions to center those who have not been centered before, to trust and believe folks who have not been trusted or believed before, and to also take their lead, which is something that's very difficult to do. My personal vision and values mirror those of vibes in some ways, and they're different in other ways, which is why I'm glad that I have the Black Women Are Reliable Sources platform because it allows me to really bring my full self and the range of aesthetic choices that I've made and also the field that I'm in. I can talk about a range of topics that I may or may not bring up with five. So I think it's really interesting that you talk about how the team that you have built and are leading at Vibe is both about who you are and not about who you are. You are the leader of the team, but you are not Vibe. (laughs) And you have views and values and a vision of the world that is aligned with that of Vibes, but is also more expansive. And before we started this conversation, you and I were talking a little bit about how I would say pretty often people who are not in leadership positions or who may work with us or for us as leaders don't get that distinction, that somehow the people leading the organizations are the organizations. That if the brand colors are pink and blue, then pink and blue must be Toya's favorite colors. (laughs) So I'd love to hear more about the parts of you that get to show up 
in Black Women Are Reliable Sources and that sort of more expansive part of Toya? Yeah, mostly I'm a very opinionated person. I have very strong opinions. And in my role as an institutional leader, my opinions come last. So, for example, the branding, right? When you said the colors, right? People assume that I like hot pink, right? No, that's the brand that I inherited. People assume that I created the organization. So many people assume that I'm the founder of the organization and are shocked to find out that I did not create it. Could I have? Sure. Did I dream every night of an organization like Vibe? Yes, I did. But I didn't create it. The uncensored piece, I may have made a different choice. This is the first time I've said this publicly. To say that Black girls deserve a space where they can be untethered is one thing. Uncensored is another. And these uncensored spaces and holding these uncensored spaces in a safe way is very difficult. And I really give a lot of respect to the co-founders for having the vision to see that Black girls do deserve and require uncensored spaces. I don't know that if I had created the organization that I would have been that specific in terms of the uncensored piece. As the mother of a team, I can say I may have made a different choice. Aesthetically, I want to make different choices all the time. I think I told you earlier, and everybody knows this, every other title of every other show, I hate, I can't stand it. I'm like, how do you spell it? What does it mean? Somebody explain it to me, huh? (laughs) Some of that's generational, though. We've talked about A lot of it are cultural shifts and generational shifts. So with B-Wars, I get to talk to my Gen X. You know, most of us are doing this work right now. It's like comfy and cozy. I know that I'm talking to people who will get my cultural references. We've grown this audience of folk who are also doing similar work in the field. So with B-Wars, I feel like I'm talking to my support system, leading vibe. I'm always going back to the manual, the instruction manual of our core values and making sure and even checking myself a lot of times to make sure that everything we do is aligned with those core values, which means that a lot of times my aesthetic choices, the ways that I'm opinionated in my personal life don't show up at Vibe. I really like that distinction because I framed it as being one that pertains to leaders, but it's actually, or it should be all of us in our work. And The conversations I've been having with your team have been about, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm doing air quotes, performance evaluation, (laughs) you know, assessment of work and feedback and how we cultivate a culture of excellence and work in an organization. And when you have a young team, this merging of me with my work, the evaluation of my work being an evaluation of me. That can get really messy and really uncomfortable. And I think that one of the reasons I was so excited to have this conversation with you is you're doing some things really right. Not often. I'm always so shocked to hear that. I don't know why. I was just about to say, leaders like, like, who, me? My staff? They said that? What? I have to tell you, one of the things I love doing with the women leaders that I work with is reflecting back the positive things that their staff and their board say to them. Because when we're out there on that limb by ourselves, you know, we're by ourselves. And you're just like, I'm out here making decisions and people are pissed. So yes, the young women who work for you have really said that they feel supported and heard and invested in, both as workers and as people. And so I wanted to start with the sort of framing of like remembering 
as we go into a conversation about assessment and evaluation, that that decoupling of self from work can be really hard when we're talking about evaluation. And I think you're doing a good job. And so I thought you could share some tips with us. So let's first start with what's your approach to the idea of evaluation and the sort of assessment of work from a values perspective? How do you think about performance evaluation as a leader? Firstly, I think of myself as in relationship with each person on staff. We have these roles, right? I have this executive director title and the staff person has this title, but we're really two human beings who are in relationship with each other who can help each other and who can teach each other as well, right? That we can learn from each other so that there's reciprocity built in. The ways that I try to foster the idea of being in relationship comes out of my own origin story in Third Ward, Houston, Texas, and growing up around community organizers and artists who were in real relationship with each other for better or for worse. Yesterday, my aunt's boyfriend said, you guys have a really uh, tight-knit family. You guys really stick together. And he was saying that. He sounded a little stressed out, right? Like, is that a compliment? Yeah, exactly. My husband said the same thing the first time I brought him home. He was like, whoa, you guys really, like, they say stick together. You guys really stick together. This idea that when hard times come up, the last thing we need to be questioning is our relationship with each other. That's the last thing. We know that we are up against um, sometimes insurmountable odds. The very last thing we need to do is be like, look to your left and look to your right and know that we are in it together. That is so true. So it comes out of theater, making shows with a cast of people who have to trust each other. And it comes out of watching people like my grandmother and my mother do community organizing work and watching them being in relationship with every single person from the groundskeeper to every person. It's like you have a ritual with that person that's intentional. And so I, as much as possible, try to replicate that also because in my former professional life, I was in a lot of sort of corporate type environments where assessment and evaluation were really transactional and you had to fill out all this paperwork and you sit down for this long, like stressful meeting that was stressful for both people, you could tell. And then you had to sign this paper saying that your performance evaluation was true, even if you didn't agree with anything in it. And then if you were like, hey, but that line so-and-so said, I don't know, there was a whole process for it. And you walk away just feeling bad. You know, like, wow, there's so many things I need to work on as a person and not really being able to celebrate your wins. So a combination of my own lived experience and then my own professional experiences and then understanding that the way that I've really learned as a Black woman is through being in relationship and being in a space where it was free of shame. And so for better and for worse, and you've seen the for worse now, (laughs) being in relationship for our organization is non-negotiable. Whether you like me or not, it's not really important. We're going to have this relationship. That's right, because we have work to do. Hi, Darcy. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited that I had the idea to have this conversation with you on my actual podcast. I'm excited too. Like I told you, I want to talk to you about teams, about building teams, maintaining teams, managing teams, leading teams, sort of the secret sauce that goes into making teams work. 
as I said in my intro, and I will say again for our listeners, we are sisters. Yes. Uh, which makes this a lot of fun. And also, particularly because of COVID over the last year, I've gotten to spend a lot more time actually sitting in the room with you while you work, while you lead your team at Generation Citizen. And I've always known that you are probably the most effective and phenomenal communicator I know. But seeing it in practice and seeing you sort of apply your natural given skills and talents to a team that you have not even met in person has been really, really phenomenal. And so since this podcast is about how leaders can operationalize and think about strategies for building, scaling, and running high-impact nonprofits, and teams are so central to that, I thought you would be a great person to talk to about teams. So so let's kick off just sort of going right to the core of things. I have taken to calling you the communication whisperer, dog whisperer, the horse whisperer, some (laughs) non-animal. Dog and horse? (laughs) Teams, dogs, and horses. Yes, okay. But the person that sort of comes in and like makes everything work in some magical way. And whether it's your personal life, as a manager, as a peer, you always manage to keep people and teams together and working really smoothly. And my sense from you is that it comes down to trust and communication. So I guess my first question for you is, is that sense right? Are those sort of the core elements of a well-functioning team? And what else is there? Well, you definitely named the two things that I think about the most, trust and communication. I would say I think about communication at least once every single day. And so I do think those are the core elements, like secret sauce to any team. But I would also add joy. I think that any team that I've been on when I was in Teach for America with Tasha and Karen, when I was in Uncommon Schools and I was working closely with Emily and Amy, any team that I'm on, you have to have joy, you have to laugh, you have to have fun. And so I would say those are the three elements, trust, communication, and joy. I love that. I really love that. And I think one thing that a lot of people have been thinking about over the last year, year and a half, you know, as we've been navigating COVID, how do I keep my team together? How do I keep us feeling like a team, that last piece, finding moments of joy together, laughing together, feels maybe even more central than the other two. Would you weigh them all equally or interrelated in some way that sort of plays out differently depending on the circumstance? I think it depends on the circumstance. It's kind of like when people say relationships aren't 50-50, they're 100%, 100%, and they ebb and flow depending on the situation. I think that's how trust, communication, and joy play out. With my current team, Like I have fun with them. We have fun together and we have silly jokes and we can kind of like play off of certain things that happen and we view things similarly. And that's both my internal team and my larger program team and my management leadership team. Like each team that I'm on, I enjoy them, you know, as people. And I enjoy like we have shared moments. And that's something that I found in COVID. Those shared moments can happen. I was nervous about starting my role during a pandemic and not actually meeting anybody in person and how will that play out? But you have those shared moments, whether you're in person or whether you're virtual and you have to just bring that joy. So I think depending on whatever the situation is, one or two of those elements will either spike, you know, this is like a big trust moment or this is a big communication moment. I really love that point that we don't have to be in person to experience joy together. 
and finding ways to have sort of shared moments that we can then reference and that build intimacy and a sense of connection can absolutely happen on remote teams. Yeah. I think I'm really glad you mentioned that. I want to dig a little deeper on trust. So I spent a lot of time talking with the organizational leaders that I work with about building trust on teams. And I've often talked about how I think as a society, as people, as leaders, we always talk about trust as it pertains, or not always, we tend to talk about trust as it pertains to liking people. We equate trust with liking people. I trust her so I would have coffee with her, or I trust him so we'd spend time together. And if I don't feel like I'd want to spend time with that person, I must not be able to trust. That, I think, does not do us a service. I think it does us a disservice. And I know that you talked explicitly a lot with this team that you are leading and the various teams that you've led and built over the years about how you build and cultivate trust on a team. I have a sort of a two-part question. How do you build actual sort of trust in the way that one needs to trust one's team members to work with them? And then I'd love to talk about how you repair trust, because I think that's also something that we've seen a lot during COVID and just as teams have shifted. So let's start with how you build it. I want to go back for a second because to your first question of like, what are the key elements of a team? I would say trust, communication, and joy are the umbrella elements. And then all of the smaller components fall within that. So like relationship building is key to teams. Like that has been top of mind in being on a new team that I'm on now, but that falls under trust. And with communication, falling under communication is how you operationalize your interactions What are your operational traditions as a team? So there's all these other components that come into play, but I would say they tend to fall under the categories of trust, communication, and joy. So I just wanted to clarify that point. But to your question of building trust, I think that trust is very often misunderstood. And it's what you're talking about. We reference trust as this umbrella thing. But what I mean about trust is different than what you mean about trust. So if I'm interacting with you and I say trust has been broken, that doesn't clarify the problem because it means something different to both of us. So one of the things that I really have clung to in my career is this idea that trust actually means is broken down into five components. Benevolence, so showing kindness to other people, honesty and authenticity, credibility, openness, and reliability. And when trust is broken, it's usually one of those categories, one of those things that is broken. Being able to notch it down and what are we actually talking about? Exactly. To be really specific, really concrete. And so when you're building trust, I think what you have to do is know yourself well, and you have to be open to really trusting the people you're working with. I super trust my team. We're able to build trust because I actually trust their work and what they're doing, but they also have to trust me. And so I have to know myself within those categories to know what I do well. And I think in those categories, one of the things that I do well is credibility. I feel comfortable and confident in the work that I do and the experience that I've had and authenticity and honesty. I bring my full self. I'm true to who I am. And then I also know the things that are challenging for me. And one of those things is benevolence. Not to say I'm not a kind person. (laughs) I'm not a villain. I'm definitely not a villain. But I do think through my career, I can say I'm not prideful. So I can be honest about the gaps that I have. And 
One of them is I feel a lot of kindness and I feel a lot of appreciation for the work that people do, especially when they're working for me. I don't always communicate that really quickly and easily and efficiently. And so since I know that about myself, I actually was upfront about that with my team. I was like, I appreciate you all. I may not show it all the time, but I'm working on that. And so I try and explicitly give myself reminders. They're working on current projects and I'm just like, wow, you know, Juanita did a really great job with this, but I actually have to say that. I have to verbalize that. It also strikes me that sort of having a common language within this big umbrella of trust or sort of specific language also helps clarify what you need from other people. Like, let me try to be really open and honest with you about what I'm bringing to the table and how I can work to build trust with you. And here is how I define benevolence, right? Here's what I need in terms of benevolence. And it could be that I've been on teams with people where one or two of those five things you mentioned are more important to some people on my team and another two are more important to other people on my team. So it's almost like the love languages. Yes, absolutely. Here's how I show and build trust actively. And here's how I receive. And here's what I need from you to build trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that in a really explicit way. You know, I know that benevolence is a really big deal to Bonnie. And credibility means a lot to Megan. And I also know my trust in them leans into one of those elements more than others. But everybody is different. That's where kind of communication starts to flow in. Yeah, yeah, And those other elements, everybody is different. So it actually is a big deal for some of my team members if I cancel a meeting or miss a meeting, you know, if I do that too much, because for them, reliability is trust, you know? And so it's important to be able to communicate those and say like, I know myself, you've got to be honest. That's a really big deal. But people can miss meetings with me and that doesn't infringe. I don't start thinking about their character and like trust language. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, and this is sort of the intersection, trust, joy, communication, the sort of trust communication intersection there is really fascinating because I think about the role of people who are leading and managing teams, Mm -hmm. creating space in which people can cultivate trust that it reminds me a little bit of parenting and not in the paternal (laughs) But the way in which, you know, mom has always said, you have to get to know each of your children. Yes. Have the capacity to really just get to know who each of them are. And that that's definitely true in my own life. And part of what I hear you saying is if I'm leading a team where I am serious about building a culture of trust, trust that allows us to work together. Part of what I have to make time to do or find a way to do is get to know each person on my team. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to build trust for them? It isn't just this umbrella of like the value of trust up on a wall that we believe in, but it's active. It requires figuring out how to communicate. And you named that before, but I think love languages falls under that. Knowing what your love language is and then also knowing what your trust language is. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast and share with your friends. And if you extra liked it, I would love if you would leave a review. I would also like to share just a few free resources. If you are the leader of a small six-figure organization and you're ready to scale to that next level of massive impact, 
check out my free training, Scale Your Small Nonprofit to Big Impact. It's a roadmap to getting the funding, staff, and support you need to hit your first million dollars. You can access it at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. And finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can sign up on my website, brookrichiebabbage.com. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.